Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hello and welcome to Confessions of a Reformer. I'm your host, Mike Mayashiro, and we're on for another episode today. You guys, I'm doing another interview. We've got a special guest here today. Excited to introduce you to her. But before I do that, I want to tell you this random funny thing that happened this last week, which has never happened in my life. Um, I went to the dentist, had a crown removed, and... Uh, I don't know why. They numbed me. It didn't work, so they numbed me again. For like three, maybe four hours after the procedure, I still was numb, but also my nasal passage got affected, and so I'm going to try and reenact what I sounded like, and I was hanging out with some people that night, so I had to keep talking, and they made fun of me a lot, actually, Um, and so my voice ended up... I can't even... Let me see if I can do it. My voice... (laughs) sounded like this like I I didn't I had nasal voice and also like a speech impediment while I was trying to talk it was really strange and it sounded something like that I don't I don't want to keep doing that because it's not exactly right but it's very close to that and I couldn't not talk that way it was awful and I felt ridiculous and anyway that happened it's not as funny in hindsight but it was awkward and funny when it happened anyway um so we've got a special guest on today and the funny thing about this episode or this interview is uh, she and I have not talked much before this moment. That's actually, that's actual fact. So we're literally going to have like our first sincere, real conversation right now on this podcast episode, um, which is not natural. It's really strange, but um, I think she and I both just, you know, are able to hold our own in that space. So we'll see what happens. I anticipate great things. Um, but you guys, we've got Tanasha on the podcast episode today, which I know a lot of you guys don't know who she is. Lorraine, yeah, Tanasha Lorraine, mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to let her introduce herself, but before she does that, I'm going to introduce her with some nuts that I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, yeah. I've never heard these in these, person. Yeah, I know. Um, well, before I say anything from this note that I wrote, um, so Tanasha, you've been in the Bethel environment for several years now, right? Mm-hmm. And I have known of you and I've seen you from a distance. I think my first like memorable exposure to you was when I think you were on stage at Bethel doing like a spoken word, I think performing mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've seen you since then a few times performing. Uh, and then I also just heard you, you know, in social circles around um, people just loving who you are, what you're about, what you're doing. Um, and so... I'd been meaning to get you on this podcast for a bit. Like I just knew that was some, you were someone I would want to talk to and connect with um, just because of what I've heard and seen. Nothing I've personally experienced. Like I've not really been around you much, but mm-hmm. the impact you have and the way that people respect you and what you're going after from everything I've heard. I was like, man, I'd love to have a chat and like get to hear, you know, where you're coming from and all that. Um, but the funny thing is I was at a birthday party last night and I ran into somebody who knows you really well. Uh-oh. And I don't know how it came <laughs> up. He, he told me that, your name came up at some point and I was like, Oh, I'm actually interviewing Tanasha on my podcast tomorrow. And, um, and I told him that we hadn't, I didn't text you for us to get together. And so we didn't really get to have a chat before this. And so I just asked him some questions and he shared 
um, I'd say quite a bit actually about you. So it's awkward because I know things about you now that I oh. didn't know 24 oh, wow. hours ago. This is awkward. Yeah. I was like, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know? I'm gonna t- well, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you what I know. So um, first starters, I'm going to throw you off. I don't mean to. Well, do I? I want to throw you off. He told me that you were the Miss Black Oklahoma. Oh, gosh. Is that true? Yeah, I was. <laughs> Goodness, I wonder who this was now. Um, <laughs> I was Miss Black Oklahoma 2007. Wow. And so I, I won um, a pageant back at Oklahoma City University and Miss Black OCU. Uh, I do not like pageants. That's the fun fact about that. You don't like them, and yet you I, won one. Yeah, because the Miss Black system is a little bit different than kind of like the Miss system. A lot of it was birthed out of uh, scholarship and education, and you know, identity and um, instilling values and things like that. And so, this is the the pattern that it continues to keep, uh, especially in light of it being created because it was not, it was created in segregation. A lot of individuals that were wanting to be in pageants, if you were a person of color, the white system would not let you compete. So a lot of these pageants still exist to this oh, day out okay. of honor of the overcoming mm. that it's taken to get here. Wow. And so a lot of the girls, when I was in um, college, we were all competing in this pageant and I'm new to it. I don't even really know what a pageant is. I'm like, oh, it's just what all the, you know, Black Student Association girls are doing. And they all started dropping out. I'm like, you can't drop out, that's what we're doing. And then I found out that it was like optional. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, but I'm not a quitter. I finished what I start. So I got first runner up the first year. And then the next year there were some different things going on with one of the, um, with the previous winner. And they were potentially going to give me the crown because of some, some things that were happening. And that little justice thing came up in me and I'm like, no, we've got to shift things. We've got to, <laughs> what was I, 20? <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm like, I compete again and I win. I'm like, yeah, I missed like OCU. And what does that mean? I don't really know. We're going to create it. But then that summer I get a phone call. Oh my gosh, we're so sorry. We didn't prepare you. We've got to get you ready in a month. I said, for what? The Miss Black Oklahoma pageant. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, no, it's not optional. What do you mean it's not optional? What do you mean I have to do it? Claire, it's Claire Looper's pageant. Oh, it's Claire Looper's pageant. Claire Looper was the mother of civil rights in Oklahoma City. Oh. And she also was the, the namesake on my scholarship oh. at Oklahoma City University. I'm like, you do not tell Mother Looper, no. So I'll be there. Let's go pick out a dress. Let's figure it out. And then I ended up winning. Wow. <laughs> and got to be actually mentored by Claire Looper for a few years before she passed and her mm. family. Yeah. Wow. That for me is the better part of the story. I'm mm. like, God would use a pageant to get me into a, a room full of civil rights activists. Wow. Because my family had actually opted out of the civil rights movement. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wait, so <laughs> no. when you, I have so many questions. <laughs> and you haven't, we haven't even let you introduce yourself yet. Okay, hang on. So you guys, <laughs> right. let me, let's, let's pause there for a second. That's a great little s- intro. But um, Tanasha, just for the audience and for people who don't know you or don't know who you are maybe, yeah. we have people who are listening all over, right? So they might not know, yeah. you know certain behind-the-scenes Bethel people or whatever. Yeah. Um, who are you? What do you do? What are you about? How do, yeah. what are you known for? Well, I'm a poet. I asked the Lord one day, I was being funny. I said, well, God, you, you said in scripture, who do you say that I am? Well, who do you say that I am? <laughs> As I'm driving to second year or something of Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And the Lord says, oh, I call you poet. I said, ooh, screech. I, it's not what I call myself. <laughs> I used to call myself actress, filmmaker, storyteller, you know, producer, all those things mm. before I say poet. Poet mm. was always at the end. So that day I changed it on Facebook. I put poet at the beginning. Wow. I am, I'm a poet. He calls me poet. Um, 
but I, I am a storyteller. Uh, I, I went to school for acting and went back and got a degree also in filmmaking and producing. Um, I love, I don't know, I just love showcasing to people uh, the beauty of the human story and then empowering people to transform and change from that. Um, and some of that means looking at the ugly, some of that means looking at the good, you know. Mm. Uh, I am a revivalist, I guess. I, I've kind of <laughs> been, <laughs> I've kind of been like, you know, I'm like a revivalist, revolutionary, reformer. Uh, mm. I, I'm not afraid of change. I actually need change in order to thrive. Mm. Not from like frivolous change, we just make it up. But like, you know, I need that sense of, we are becoming our fullest selves. Mm. Um, instead of becoming stagnant and comfortable and complacent and calling that the shiny, beautiful life. Um, I, wow. I'm like, if your white picket fence hasn't been changed colors in about four to five years, you know, I'm, I'm curious if you've been outside, you know, <laughs> like, cause the world's changing around you. Mm. Um, I am a daughter of, uh, a, of this man who gave his entire life to scripture and to the word and to ministry. Uh, my mom's a teacher. So my, both my parents are teachers by gifting. So it's like a mantle of teaching on our house. Uh, I'm an Okie girl I'm from Oklahoma City, but I'm a, a military brat. My dad was in the Air Force. So I lived in Idaho and Montana first and then moved to Oklahoma. And I like to tell people that's where I found out I was black. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, when I was younger, you know, the, the curiosity of individuals up north um, wasn't like the racism of individuals mm. down south. Mm. Uh, and I would say in the kids, because I had, you know, sort of the kid-friendly version with some of it, and uh, kids would come up to me and they were touching my hair, but it was all from that, like, curiosity. And in the south, in Oklahoma, people would come up to me and they'd touch my hair, but it was from a place of, like, disgust. Mm. And I could tell they were placing a value system on it. Mm. And, you know, I didn't know that word, phrase, it, when I was a kid, but I could, you could feel it. Mm. You could, like, this is what's happening to me and I'm not accepted here. And they didn't want to be my friend. And then when they did, it was, like, a ploy to embarrass me or humiliate me. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on because of the color of my skin and a whole host of other things that happened in my childhood with the Christian private school I went to and the racial things that happened there, just just a lot of that stuff. So mm -hmm. I, I recognized like that's when I realized, oh, I'm black. <laughs> that means something mm -hmm. in this country. Mm -hmm. And it's not really good depending on who you're talking to, mm -hmm. you know? Like it's, it's good, but in this system that we've made it, it's sort of down towards the bottom of the totem pole. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know what to do with that. So I'm, I'm a three on the Enneagram as well. So I just put it into let's work, <laughs> like, let's achieve, you know, yeah, let's be right. the best we can be and uh, let's get things done. And, you know, my, uh, my uh, claim to fame was let's make it happen. Yeah. Like that's the this, this phrase I became known for. And so I've been an achiever ever since, class mm. president, student council and Mu Alpha Theta math club and drama club and cheer coach and cheer captain, and, you know, because I love to, to, to transform by touching those things. But mm. uh, then when I got here, I had to crash into the emotional journey. So now I would say I'm a little bit more tender, a little bit more like in touch with the heart, a little bit more like kind to myself, pausing, mm. realizing that I, I don't have to actually achieve to prove that I'm worthy. Mm, totally, uh, yeah. Because I just am. Okay, yeah, I love it. That's awesome, thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Shoot, I have even more questions, which is a really good problem. And for the record, I forgot to say, man, I should just write down these things I wanna say. Whenever I interview anybody, so I'm gonna say this to the audience, you guys, you've heard me say this before, I'm gonna say it again, I'm gonna keep saying it until I don't have to say it anymore. 
But anybody that I'm interviewing, I want them to be able to say whatever they want, whatever they think, however they feel, wherever they're coming from. It doesn't necessarily represent my views or my opinions. And I don't care. I want them to be able to just say whatever. And then I want you guys to be able to just sift through what do you love, what do you hate, what are you offended by, what are you inspired by, what are you provoked by. I want you to get to work through it. I think that's what it means to be human and actually participate in having a conversation about the truth and us getting to walk into the fullness of what we have for us. So, Tanasha, you have full permission to say whatever you want to say. Please don't feel the need to dumb it down or, you know, sugarcoat anything. Be you. We want that. Thank you for so, the permission. Yeah. Totally. I will take it. <laughs> nice. Good. I love it. Okay. So, one thing this person told me last night that I wanted to also throw in here that you may or may not want to talk about. It's okay. Um, but they said that you are a prophetess, a prophetess. Oh, wow. And um, that maybe people don't necessarily know this about you, but it's definitely true about you and it's powerful and something that's on your life. Do you have any thoughts about that? What is it? <laughs> Just you asking me that, me and the Lord will have some words. Oh, nice. Well, um, yeah, I. it's actually the the newer thing. I won't say newer thing, but it's the thing that I have to begin embracing, but it's the thing that I didn't realize I was stuffing to the, to the side, uh, trying to make myself small, whatever it was. So <laughs> this journey with prophetess or prophet or whatever started um, maybe in second year, and, uh, and that was 2016 to 2017 school year, and I started getting a lot of prophetic words and encouragement, some for people that knew me, some for people that did not know me, um, some even from like leaders in the environment, <laughs> one leader, for six to seven months straight would stop me and I'm talking with someone else and they would pause and go, you need to know who you're talking to. She's a prophetess called to this nation, a voice for this generation. And then they would have this like whole speech and then they would awkwardly walk away. <laughs> and this happened for six to seven months. Wow. And then I, I asked the Lord, you know, what was that about? He says, I needed to make it emphatic and get it in your head because I knew there'd be a day that you wouldn't believe it. Mm. And sure enough, that day was probably like, three or four months ago <laughs> because I'm looking at everything that's going on, you know, in the nation, the racial unrest. Mm -hmm. And God had shown me things from back in like 2016. And I was, you know, spouting these things like on my social media. I would just feel this gripping like this is what thus saith the Lord. But at the same time, I'm going, how are you going to do that like that? This is America. You're saying America is going to repent for slavery in three years time. You got to be kidding me. How? Have you seen America? You know, <laughs> and so I didn't know what that would look like. And, and I just kind of push it to the side. And now everything that's that's happening and the things that the Lord has shown me and, and the things that I believe are to come, I'm I'm sitting here sort of like shaking in my boots. And then the Lord's like, yes, I told you like these if you, if you were to operate as a prophet and not just as someone who kind of has prophetic words, mm -hmm. then you'd be able to move in the authority of releasing what I need released, not mm -hmm. just the word, but mm -hmm. also the attitudes and the mm -hmm. heart postures mm -hmm. and uh, the wherewithal and equipping people for the work of service that's to come with that prophetic word. Uh, but the more I sit in the shadows, then I'm just someone who delivered a word versus delivered the movement with the word. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I repent. Wow. I, you know, like, let me, let me own it. And it, you know, it's not even just with this situation, it's been with other things. So, uh, it's the, it's the thing I'm having to, yes, embrace, uh, because he's made it very, very clear and, and through several different, you know, instances that in the moment I felt inspired and like, yes. And then, you know, you kind of just go right back into your old normal routine. Mm. Um, and so I, I, yeah. So for you, repentance was, oh, I I am this, I have this on my life. I'm meant yeah. to bring this impact, this influence, this authority to this space. Yeah. I'm sorry for not, for shirking away from that. Yeah. 
I mean, like I, when I look at repentance, I think about more so the kindness of God than the wrath of God, you know? Mm. Um, I believe there is sorrowful repentance. Scripture shows, shows there's sorrowful repentance, but yeah, repentance for me, I felt the, the invitation of mm. God, like, you know, as scripture says, it's the kindness of the Lord that draws men to repentance. And in those moments, I'm like, well, my thinking was leading me in this direction and my behaviors followed because that's where my thoughts went. Mm. You know, as a man thinketh, so is he. Mm. So when I change my thinking here, then so am I going in this direction. Mm. Uh, so are my behaviors, my actions, my attitudes. And, and what's interesting, as a man thinketh, so is he. He's, that's like, not so does he do. Mm. It's so is he, it's a mm. being mm. statement. So I know that, you know, it's transformative. It actually, it, it, it leans into your nature, your very nature, who you are, mm. um, not just not just what you do, mm. you know. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it actually hits you on an identity, identity level, your core. So yeah, when I saw that in that moment, I saw the invitation, Tanasha, in eternity, this is who you are. In, in time, this is who you're operating as, and that's not who you are. Mm. So, but your thinking is leading you down that pathway. You, those neural pathways are sending you in this way with your behaviors, but truth says this. Mm. So, come over here. Yes, Jesus. And I, you know, I changed my thinking, and therefore my identity aligns with that. Mm. And now it gets to be that fun, quirky, awkward, strange, clunky, journey of figuring out what that looks like as I now work out my salvation in that direction mm -hmm. because before I've been working out my salvation in a different direction. Mm -hmm. So now it's just another adventure, <laughs> you know. I'm sure I'll get it wrong plenty of times. I'm sure I'll get it right plenty of times and uh, you know I pray I live long enough to tell the story. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> great. I love it. Fascinating. So man, there are like nine directions I want to go right now. <laughs> um you first identified as a poet in this conversation. Mm. I, I've seen you do some stand-up. Nope, that's the wrong way to say that. Some <laughs> spoken word, right? Where you're standing <laughs> yeah. there and maybe there's like a beat or rhythm behind you or not, but you're just speaking and there's emphatic mm -hmm. declaration to what you're saying. And I remember some of the times I've heard you, I remember being like, whoa, this is not just a dramatic display. Like the words were, they were mm. thought felt and there was sincerity and intelligence and depth and wisdom in it. Mm. Um, were you performing things you wrote? I've asked you about some random performances that are buried by a bunch of other things you've done, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Do you perform things that you write yourself when yeah. it comes to the spoken word side of that? Yeah, I, you know, when it comes to spoken word poetry, like I'm an actress, so I'm used to performing other people's words, mm. but with poetry, I can't. Okay. I, I don't, like. Like it feels insincere? It, I don't know, it just, because the art form of spoken word poetry is, Ah, man, it, it's so funny. It's like tethered with not just like your voice, but the voice that's in you, like what you care about, what you mm. believe, mm. what what is true, what is deep within you. So um, when you write your own words, it comes with the conviction as well. And there are people that have reached out to me to perform my words and I feel awkward sometimes when they do and I'm like, oh, but I, okay, you're doing it for this program. That makes sense. It goes with the theme. Sure, I'll send it to you, you know. It's like very strange to me because most poets um, it, that do spoken word poetry, there's a different type of, there's different types of poetry, but spoken word poetry, everyone's trying to be their own MC. 
you know, like mm. it's like rap, you know, the, in the music industry, we don't talk about a lot of people that are actually songwriting on rap songs as well, but the majority of them, they're writing their own material and they might have someone who's co-writing elements of it with them. And I've done that approach as well with spoken word poetry where we've done a group piece and somebody had an incredible line. We're like, that's gonna be the chorus line. We're all going to repeat this part together when we get to this portion of the, of the performance. But most, most, I mean, well, for the most part, when it's time for me to do my portion, it's what I've written because mm. it comes from my conviction, my story. It, uh, spoken word poetry is so much about story as well, mm. um, not just about like preaching or the intellect, but it's like wrapping people in, a, in an encounter. Mm. So, so you need your story in there, not someone else's story. So it feels really weird like when I send someone this piece <laughs> and I'm like, in that piece though, I talk about uh, the <laughs> first time I, it, you, and you want to, Okay, you know, like it, it just doesn't feel very genuine. Yeah. Uh, but, but I get it. But yeah, for me, I have to, I have to speak my own words. Yeah. Okay. I have to come from, from you know, not just my physical voice, but my voice, like yeah. my voice, my sound, my experience, my, my relationship with myself and with God. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Now, I heard the word director come up. Oh yeah. Did you go to school <laughs> to be a director? Yeah. What producer? I, yeah, directing and producing, um, you know, strange story, I wanted to be a dentist. So when you were telling that dentistry story at the beginning, I was like, why am I having my full life right now? <laughs> I used to want to be a dentist oh, up wow. until 17 years old, had an encounter with the Lord, didn't even know the word encounter when it happened, yeah, but totally. had this smack moment with God while I was performing in a one act play competition um, that I believe, yeah, uh, yeah, it was, it was the beginning of my year, so beginning of my um, junior year, so I was only like 16, 17 years. But I, um, I remember telling this crazy part of the story where she talked about setting herself on fire. Like uh, these women in a liposuction clinic, the play is called, if there's any theater people listen, they're like, I wonder what play? The Most Massive Woman Wins was the play. Um, and this, these women were in a liposuction clinic talking about basically why they felt they needed liposuction, but they're really unraveling the psychological trauma that they've had. And they all choose to leave except this character, which was the my one, character. Okay. <laughs> and she had like probably the most entrenched trauma um, and at one point in time in her life, she'd even tried to set herself on fire to burn the fat away because she just so hated herself. And it was in the part that I'm talking about being set on fire that the lights got brighter and my skin started to get really chilled and cold. And I'm looking out like my spirit was just stirring. Everything in me felt like a roller coaster. And I'm like, why am I getting nervous now? Like, it doesn't feel like nervousness. And I, my thoughts are happening in my head as words are still coming out of my <laughs> mouth. I'm looking around the audience and then I just kind of pause because it felt like they were frozen totally. and like <gasps> leaning forward, but it, but it felt like time stood still. And I remember thinking to myself, dang, like they are really waiting for me to tell this story. And I heard this voice enter into my head and I had never had this happen before. And this voice said, yes, they are waiting for you to tell stories. <laughs> And I just. <laughs> or is that, that was you coming back? That was, yeah, that like was time me. unfreezing? Yeah, it felt like, it, it felt like coming back into myself. Um, and it felt like, I'm just loving how you guys are like, <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> losing it over here. You're like losing it. <laughs> like people listening have no idea what you're looking at right now. Oh my God. But I'm just, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm just, I, I was getting gripped by it. But I also, I felt like I ran into my reality because I did not see that around me. I didn't see it celebrated in the black community to go after acting or filmmaking. Mm. Although we watched a lot of, you know, movies, but it was like them over there. And, you know, because, because of oppression, because of those things, you get to a certain point, your family's just like, Tanasha, you need to get something that is secure. 
don't go after that thing that's like going to mean you'll be starving and I'll have to be sending you money every week. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> so I didn't think my family would go for it. So uh, I ended up applying for a university that the Lord showed me in a vision. Ended up getting a scholarship that he showed me in a vision. And I, um, I kept it a secret for a while. <laughs> and then my mom ends up getting mail that uh, told everything because moms open mail when you're a minor. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, mom, that's a federal event, you know. She's <laughs> like, I do not care. Um, thank you. And she uh, ended up asking me, well, what's this? You're, you're getting interviewed for this scholarship? And da, 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 da. I'm like, well, yeah, you know. And I ended up unfolding all of it. And they prophesied. I don't think they realized that they, that's what they were doing, but they mm. said, I see that you're not just going to be doing acting. But like my dad's like, remember that time when you had this 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 project and you guys did this and Alice Murphy Williams. And I always shout her out. She's my uh, probably the first person that believed in me as a storyteller. She used to get mad when I was like, I want to be a dentist, though. She's like, damn it, Tanisha, why can't you just see that this is a, a valid <laughs> life form to go after this? Is, you know, I'm like, oh. you are not a dentist. You know, like, I'm like, OK, Murphy will like you really believe this more than I do. Just let me go clean some teeth, you know? Um, but she she did believe in me and kept pushing in that area. And my dad used her words to show me that it was going to be even more than just acting. Uh, he was like, she believes in you this. She gave you those particular projects because you're a great director. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. But I'm like, whoa, y'all are taking this, you know, a little too far. My dad started talking about, you're going to be a woman of content. And I'm like, I just want to act, you know? <laughs> and then I get to my university, and within one year of me being in this acting program, a film program, you could just get started. And so I start dibble-dabbling in some of those classes. And uh, at around this time, I also win Miss Black Oklahoma, and I end up going to the um, to the uh, film advisor, the guy that's over that whole program. And because I'd been this achiever, I, I was graduating a year early from college, and I was asking him, could I double major, maybe extend a year out? I have this scholarship, it'll pay for it. And he was like, why, do you, why would you want to get a double major when you can get a master's? And so he talks me into this pilot program, and, uh, and I ended up being able to go and study film producing and directing um, with that emphasis being in production and in, in direction. So it was, it was cool. I, I liked it a whole lot more because I realized I like control. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm in there, I'm like, ooh, you, get, you mean to tell me I get to control more of the elements, including how people are treated? as a producer, including how this story is unfolding, including that, because everything in the classes that I was in, it was all about the money. And I remember, ugh, I remember hating that. I remember going like, I get it, we gotta make money, we gotta feed kids, we gotta be able to, you know, pay for our rent, and, you know, all that stuff, and our mortgages, and, but you mean to tell me like, that's all it's about? And he used to call me soft. <laughs> like my, my film advisor used to call me soft. Ah, kid, you're soft. Like, you gotta get a backbone, this is the industry. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get a backbone, but I'm also gonna keep my morals, you know, and, and my convictions, because I, I don't know, I, I love Spike Lee. Spike Lee's my favorite director. And I watch his approach because he's chosen to be an artist as a director versus an entertainer mm -hmm. as a director. And, and the difference being that the art speaks and sometimes artists are not liked in their lifetime or they're not loved in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. They become more famous, their estate becomes more valuable after they've passed on because they, they held to their convictions and said, I'm gonna pour into this for the beauty of it versus for you know how I can capitalize off of it. And, and it's commercial appeal. And I'm like, I want that route. I'd rather my art say something. And when you pass by my film and you watch it, that you, you are provoked to conversation that lasts 12 hours versus like, oh, wonderful, saw that, gave it my $12, you know, at the movie theater and moved on. And, and I've got, you know, my big mansion, but 
it made no dent in, mm. you know, in time. Mm. So I, I made I made that decision very on, mm. uh, very early on that I wanted to be an auteur, an auteur, an artist director, uh, you know, one with a voice mm. um, and not just one with a wallet. Nice. Love it. Cool. Mm -hmm. I just got to jump in on this before we move on. When you were describing that encounter you had on stage and time froze and all that, yeah. the elements you were describing, I share often when I'm preaching or talking to my team or whatever, this, a certain encounter I had at the Lord and time always be, is part of the thing. I'm like, I don't know why. I looked at this person, looked at my screen. And by the time I was looking at this, everything stopped. The world stopped. Wow. It was quiet. And then someone talked to me in my head with my thoughts. Wow. With the voice in my head. <laughs> so some things you were saying, I was like, that's, and that's what we're Dang. like hitting each other. Like, that's exactly what I experienced. Yeah. Obviously different scenario, different conversation, but the elements were so eerily similar. I'm like, Dang. that's happened to me. It's crazy. That yeah. is crazy. Uh, yeah. Okay. It was in the middle of random nothing. I was not paying attention. wasn't praying to the Lord. I wasn't trying for anything to happen. It just like came on me. And I was like, what is happening? The divine crazy. interruption. Yeah, so interesting. And I didn't have a word for encounter back then either. Like yeah. I was evangelical. People didn't have a grid for that back, yeah. you know, in that I space. Didn't, I didn't either. I mean, <laughs> I grew up non-denominational. My mm. dad kind of grew up Baptist. And, but we didn't have language for these things. We were like, if I don't see it in the Bible, then I don't know what it is. You know, kind of thing. We wouldn't like negate it because we saw weird stuff in the Bible. <laughs> but we'd be like, don't know what it is. And <laughs> stuff started happening to me. I'm just like, it's just God. <laughs> you know, that's about it. <laughs> what do you call God? He has all these names. So just call it God. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Nice. That's insane though. Yeah. I love it. That's so cool. Um, so my source, I did not mean for there to be like this <laughs> third party person I got to like learn about you from, but, um, I was encouraged by him to ask you about pioneering mm. and like some of your thoughts on, or like your convictions in that space mm. or like what that means to you or what you're going after or whatever. And that, and I, there's so many things you could say. Um, what do you, what's there to, what is there to be said by Tanasha about pioneering, especially, you know, with what Ooh! you've been through? <laughs> you know, I'm over here like doing like this. You, if you can't see me, it's, I'm cringing my fingers and I'm just like, ah! She's seizing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the first thing I want people to know about me is I've abandoned the term pioneer. <laughs> you know, right? People need some updates on. Yeah. yeah great. And here's why. So. <laughs> As I've been like really fighting for cultural competency and racial equality and justice and sensitivity and excuse me, family, spirit of adoption, all those things, brotherhood, global neighborhood, a lot of terms that Dr. King would use. Um, it, it lands me also in circles with the indigenous of our land. And you know, I'm very Americanized. So <laughs> as I use a lot of my language um, and I watch them flinch, I have to, I, I ask like, you know, why? And, and one of them was kind enough to tell me that when you use that word pioneer, it doesn't mean the same thing here. Mm. Because pioneer here is equal to theft and murder and betrayal mm. and um, colonization. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that is so true. You know, that word actually doesn't translate to every culture, it, it specifically a lot of cultures that I know my life will end up serving. Mm. And, um, and so I've abandoned that term. However, I understand what people mean mm. when they say it, yeah. you know, to go before, to trailblaze, to build something where it doesn't exist. Um, and, and so I, I, I do see my life pattern actually being that. <laughs> I, I go to different locations and I, I moved to Los Angeles and God was doing this in LA. I, when I was in Oklahoma and I would join a company um, I'm thinking I'm going to do one thing. God's like, no, you're going to bring this too. And I'm like, God, that means I have to build that from scratch. You know, he's like, yeah, build it. And then I realize I have the most fun, you know, starting new things and, 
and, and then leaving them and just going, okay, I hope it lasts, you know, I, I'm gonna give you some of the tools and, you know, uh, that whole sort of apostolic kind of side of it, mm -hmm. establishing things, but also I love the teaching side where you don't just leave them with it, you teach them how to use it, you teach them how to continue to function in it. Mm. Um, have I mastered that? No, but <laughs> in theory, I like it, you know? <laughs> so, um, I don't know, trailblazing, wh what I wish somebody would have told me about trailblazing, like the really hard stuff, you know? Um, the really hard stuff, like going into the black community um, and my parents being individuals that are just of extreme royalty. Like, that's just how they carry themselves, you know? We, by no means, were wealthy growing up. My parents make way more money now than they do then, but it's, you know, a, a testament of their their commitment and, and their hard work, <laughs> you know, that American statement, mm -hmm. but also just their wisdom that's grown with, with age and, um, learning how to leverage and, and get more in life. Uh, but that I was raised in the hood, but that was not the culture in our home. Um, my, my, my dad, of course, always choosing the gospel. My mom always choosing education. And, and so it was just no excuse to be uh, someone that operated in unforgiveness. And it was no excuse to be someone that operated in ignorance. Mm. And that was just sort of our household and, um, or that didn't operate in the way of the kingdom. So I would go into spaces because we served inner city. We lived in the hood because proximity was important to us to be in proximity with who you're called to mm -hmm. serve. Mm -hmm. um, sort of not like just talking about them from your Facebook <laughs> or your you know Instagram, but like being among them. Mm -hmm. And and that was what I was trained in. But no one told me you know that sometimes you'd feel alone in that because mm -hmm. as you're trying to get other individuals to see what you see, sometimes they don't want it. You know, sometimes they like they're so entrenched in whatever brokenness or dysfunction or pain or way of thinking uh, that to them you're like an enemy, even though you might be, you know, I'm good white blood cells in here, you know, but like the body's like attacking it, mm. saying, no, this is actually foreign to us. We don't want this. Mm. Um, and so we found our way because I when I say we, me and my mom actually um, where she was a cheer sponsor, I was the cheer coach. She taught in, in inner city schools and, and I ended up teaching in inner city as well. But in the beginning of that process, oh, it was so difficult where you just feel like your back's against the wall and all of them are against you and you're really just here to love them. Well, that's in the black community and then I get here and I'm in a predominantly white community and it's actually the same thing, but just reverse mm. <laughs> the, the, the things, you know. I sometimes feel extremely alone as I bring a conversation that uh, in my naivete, when I first got here, thought like, oh, this is what everybody is about because you're about the kingdom. And then I realized, oh, there are political beliefs that get in the way. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, um, stories that get in the way because you might've had pain from a black person or there's experiences that you, you just haven't had proximity to this suffering. So you don't quite get it. So so all you know is to sort of cling to principles. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I you know, felt, extremely alone in, in a lot of that journey mm. uh, while <laughs> while simultaneously being um, extremely highlighted by the Lord. So, you know, most people when they do see me in that and I bring conversations on race and talk about race, you know, uh, in our environment, in our city, you know, things like that, there almost feels like like <laughs> there's a sentiment when they speak to me like you've arrived or wow, you're favored or wow, you know, all these things I go, oh, I really feel alone, actually. I don't, you know, if, if one thing I've learned about favor, looking at Joseph's life in scripture, is favor means work. Yeah. You get more totally. favor, you get more job assignments. <laughs> you know, it means work. It, yeah. and, it, and, it's, and favor's not for you. 
favors for other people. So there's this friction mm. with favor. Mm. There's this frustration with favor, you mm. know. Um, th this favor for Joseph was to save all of Egypt, including his people. And, and I've just had to come to grips with that, that oftentimes when you're trailblazing and God gives you favor to build something new in new places, then you can't think about your comfort, you know. Mm. Like you've got to find that comfort in the comforter. You know, you can't think about your... Um, or like you can think about it, but you can't hinge your life upon what um, the American dream, you know, says is what life is, you know, this pursuit of happiness in the kingdom. Like, I don't see the pursuit of happiness. I see the the goodness, the gift of fulfillment and and being fulfilled in abiding. But happiness is based on happenstance, which means you might not be in, if you're really about that life, that kingdom life, being obedient and following what the Lord sends you, then you're oftentimes going to be sent into very uncomfortable places that will bring on persecution, that will bring on really bad happenstance. <laughs> mm. And you will find no happiness in it, yet you will have eternal joy. And so I, I've, I've been trying to find that, you know, because uh, I realize, you know, a lot of the lessons I'm learning right now, it's a training ground. It's you know, and, and, and to also come back to the place where realizing no one in this is an enemy. Mm. Like, that's the hard part. Mm. Because when you feel alone and like, like your back's against the wall, who's got my back against the wall? And you want to point a finger at someone, and it's actually not them. Mm. I love Dr. King's um, uh, rhetoric in The Six Principles of Nonviolence. It's kind of what I subscribe a lot of my life to, you know, with the kingdom. And then he's placed such kingdom language in these principles that anyone of any faith can follow. Um, but in the six principles of nonviolence, it's outlined that we fight evil, not people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even the best of us can have strings of our lives attached to evil mindsets, evil principles, mm -hmm. evil, and, and, and evil, it's like, what does that word even mean? You know, well, I was attached to evil, as I described earlier in this conversation, when my life was lined up with, oh, I'm not a prophet. Mm -hmm. That was me living mm -hmm. less than what the, what, what the word, the rhema word of the Lord was speaking to me. So for me to agree with something that is opposite of what the Lord is saying is actually evil. Mm. And I think we've placed so much like this, like evil's a boogeyman word, you know, it's just a boogeyman word. Like, <laughs> well, if you just look at it in the context of the kingdom, is it in the realm of the king or not? Mm. And if it's not, then it's evil. And we can repent through his kindness. <laughs> you know? Big toothy grin as you say that. And right, we and we can repent. You know? <laughs> I just look at it like I read Caroline Leaf's book, Switch on Your Brain. Are you familiar with that book? Yes. Love it. Mm. Uh, but I look at it like she just breaks down the science of repentance. Mm. And the fact that God is so kind to even place it within our, our brains that you don't even have to believe in God in order to be able to repent. It's actually wired in your design. Now, when you believe in God, you get the fullness of repentance because now you get the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, who will lead and guide you into all truth. So you get more of the truth than if you didn't believe. But my goodness, he's so kind mm -hmm. that he wouldn't put it in just some, you know, space over here that you have to try to tap into that is actually wired in your very system. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, it's kind of God. He gave us the very tools to be able to do it. He didn't set us up for failure, mm -hmm. you know. So I look at it, I'm like, huh, yeah. If you have partnered with evil or something that's less than or, you know, whatever phrase that makes you feel good about saying it, you know, then just change your thinking. Mm. Uh, and I've had to do that. I've had to, I've had to do that. I've had to break up with like anything that's, that's pulling me away from purpose and into pleasure, mm. you know, into a, a life of pleasure, you know? Um, and 
And there's nothing wrong with pleasure either. You know, like it's, it's this crazy thing about the tension in the kingdom. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. However, when that is your life, like when your, your centermost point is pleasure and what you check in with and how you dictate your decisions and live, live the trajectory of your life, like uh, now pleasure is the idol and pleasure is your God and, and, and pleasure is your constitution. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> I can't. I can't be found in the chaff. Yeah. I want to be in the wheat. You right, know, totally. <laughs> like I. Which means that there are seasons of my life as a trailblazer, where I've had to abandon pleasure, mm. because I realize that's not what this season is. I have to find it in Him. Mm. I have to find it in rest. Hello, there's a concept: abiding, meditating, listening to the Lord, mm. versus worshiping with music. You know, because yeah, everything that right. I thought about my relationship with God was always hinged upon doing and not being. Mm. And I realized like the fulfillment is way more in the just sitting in my chair in my corner, looking at the walls <laughs> 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 and actually sensing his presence. Mm. There's a, I'll, I'll say this uh, as a trailblazer, the, the Lord was talking to me the other day and I, I realized I was completely off with how I was living things. Because he, he showed me in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, there's all this stuff with the ministry of reconciliation. And it's beautiful. You know, it breaks down like we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Oh, you got to let go of the old. Don't look at the old man. This is this is now the new creation. And, and, and because of Jesus's death and you know, all these beautiful things. And then there's one, the one phrase that now sticks out to me more than anything. But I implore you, be reconciled to God. All of this stuff he was talking about what we get to do because of what Jesus did. We get the ministry of reconciliation. But the one place where they were implored was on their being reconciled to God. And the Lord was talking to me one day, driving. He talks to me a lot in my car. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, Tanasha, why won't you just enjoy being reconciled to me? And I was like, oh, that the enjoyment actually is just in that, that that's where the pleasure is, that's where the fulfillment is. Mm. So I, I just remember sitting one day and I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this thing again. <laughs> you know, this listening thing again. And he's like, don't meditate. Don't do. Don't, don't worship with music. Don't do. Just sit and enjoy being reconciled to me. Now wow. having access to oneness with me, being tethered to this, this vine and I'm the branch. And, and what does it look like to just feel the life of the vine flowing through the branch? Tanasha did not use to talk like this many years ago. <laughs> but as I've had to trailblaze, I'm realizing that all my other tools are not enough to sustain my mental health, mm. my emotional health, mm. my well-being, my thriving. Or I'm going to turn into one of those God's generals that we had to learn about in school that like sacrificed their entire family to achieve for God mm. because they didn't sit with be, I implore you, be mm. reconciled to God. So now I'm just like, I'm so much more interested in uh, what comes what comes of abiding, the trailblazing that just comes out of me being an extension of him, this branch that flows out of him versus me needing to conquer for him. <laughs> That's a, you know, that takeover mindset. I've abandoned that. That is gone. Um, Can you say more about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would love to say more about that. Uh, I believe that as a people, you know, we look at we look at faith and we look at the Christian faith. And I believe that uh, there's massive repentance coming to the church right now, actually, because we've conformed to the world so much. We've conformed to uh, hear me when I say this, because capitalism isn't wrong, but we've conformed to capitalistic structures where we're more 
of a 501c3 organization than we are an organism. Mm. And uh, we think more about events and structures than we do family and connection and pods and discipleship. Uh, and when you look in scripture, you don't see a lot of places where people were actually called to occupations. Like, I was called to be a teacher. I was called to be a preacher. I was called. Well, actually, I take that back. There's a lot of places where people were called to preach the gospel. Now, that's the only place I've I ever saw that. But you didn't see called to be a doctor, called to be a tent maker. But you did see people called to people. Mm. Like, called to Nineveh, Jonah. Mm. Called to, to the Israelites, Moses called to carry Jesus, Mary, called to the world, Jesus, called to people, because there's, a, a, I'm working through this mindset or working through this, this, this concept called the God code. Like we're called to him, called to the, the true identity in ourselves, called to each other and called to the land because we're made from it. And then Genesis one shows that we were supposed to be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion, not take dominion. It, it's, it's actually a, a consequential word. Like it, if you are fruitful with what God gives you, uh, you multiply, you replenish, you subdue, you bring it to the full, you bring it to full excellence. People are just going to want what you carry mm. and you won't have to take anything, mm. especially when you realize it's already yours. And when we're reconciled to God and just sit in the reality that we're already reconciled, what do I need to take? because the, the, the original equation has been restored to me, which is the equation of, of Eden, meaning I can have dominion. I don't need to take it. And when I think about being called to people, um, if I partner with a takeover mindset, I repeat the sins of my forefathers and ancestors of going in and taking in the name of achieving, in the name of civilization, in the name of, and Jesus, every time there is an opportunity to take something, he says, no, I don't want that. <laughs> Render mm. Caesar, what is it? Mm. I actually have no interest in establishing a government here. My government supersedes this one. I need all these governments to bow down and to return to the original. I'm not, I'm not coming to take over anything. Why would I even want to touch that stuff? Like it's, a, it's, it's such an outside thinking that doesn't really make sense. Um, and so I've, like, I've abandoned that. I, I, part of it also feels very rude, you know, <laughs> and arrogant. <laughs> where you feel like you just have something that's so brilliant and so great that everybody must have it. And part of that like, is true. I believe Jesus is the greatest thing that could happen to anybody. But when you feel like you're called to the thing and not called to the people, you don't even have enough love to deliver the package. Totally. And that's the part where I'm like, we've got to get back, back, to the, back to the true callings, which is called to people, called to one another, called to spirit. You know, because whenever we make it about just these concepts, uh, then we've actually partnered and tethered ourselves to something that is not a part of God's original code. Because God's original code always had life attached to mm. it, not just an idea, yeah. but actual Come life on. attached yeah. to it. So if I have this concept, you know, of, of how I'm going to capitalize off of X, Y, and Z, but I'm not considering the people, I've already removed spirit from the equation because they carry spirit. So if I'm not thinking, how is it going to affect spirits and the Holy Spirit and my spirit, then I'm already tethered to an equation that's destruction, mm. <laughs> you know, because the God code will always get us everlasting life. Anything less than that, you're going to start having death, you know, and destruction, wow. which in the wow. end is the final thing that God will destroy. So I'm like, if he's going to destroy that thing, do not tether your life to it now. Yeah. Tether right. your life to life and everlasting life. Shoot. Yeah. Tanasha, oh my gosh, I'm like, kind of like, 
I'm like floating out of the room. Like, crap, I'm not even, I'm not talking anymore. I have to just sit here and listen. This is so good. Uh, Shoot. Okay. That was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I have so many more questions that we don't have time for right now. Oh, man. I mean, it's like a Selah situation, right? We just got to sit there and like. That's good. Jeez, thank you. That was awesome. I mean, I'm like, I have to go back to this episode and listen to it. I'm so glad it's being recorded. Mm. I was yeah. right. I'm glad I recorded this. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Let it be organic. It's so good. Fun. Thank you. Um, Jeez. I don't want to unnaturally jolt out of here because you're tapping into like, you know, deep and high and. Um, <sighs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Jolt it. Just go ahead and just shift it. I'm beat gonna, change. I'm gonna <laughs> As we call it in acting. And beat. <laughs> um, I did want to ask you about this. So this was preconceived. Um, I'm probably going to like reach out to you again after today. And, you know. Let's, have, let's finally have that real conversation <laughs> that we have not, like. We're always in each other's social circles. Gosh, we're just like, hey, hey, good to see I you know, again. Right? Hey. I know, seriously. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about black beauty versus white beauty. Mm. Um, I was told by my informant that's something that I should ask you about. And I was wow. like, fascinating. I do want to know about that. Interesting question. Um, is there anything you'd like to share about uh, the co- there being a difference between black beauty versus white beauty or what you've observed or experienced? Or- Dang, that is like a really big question. Oh. How are we on time? <laughs> like- We're going to go over <laughs> if you're okay. Yeah, I'm okay Great. with oh, that. I want to hear about it. Um, dang, because it's hard for people to understand my perspective without understanding my belief now on whiteness and blackness, period. Mm. Because, you know, that's like the root. You say black beauty, you're, you're describing what kind of beauty that it is. And I'm like, well, we need to describe the descriptor. Like, what is whiteness? What is blackness? Mm. You know, uh, going back to the God code, uh, I believe that... <laughs> Like right now, and it's the groaning from, from the land, we're in a major identity crisis as a country. It's not just a racial unrest, it's an identity crisis. It's like billow to the top. And uh, most people look at it as like, it's just time for, for black people to get justice. And it is time for that. Um, but it's also time for healing and healing all around. Um, and something that the Lord has shown me in this God code is this, this connection to land is way more um, important than we've we've let on or we've invested in, especially when we look at the land as something that can produce for us versus something that we can commune with, you mm. know, um, mm. and not commune with in like a new agey way and that I worship it, but but that like there's a, a common union between it, that I respect it because I know as I love it, it loves me. As I pour into it, invest in it, it invests in me. And so there's this reciprocity mm. with it that happens in any type of communion. Um, and when you look at how we were originally designed, we were originally designed to be connected to land. Mm. Uh, even looking in scripture, there's so many moments where when people encountered God on a land, they stopped, made an altar, sacrificed an animal, and named that land after that God encounter. So it was very spiritual, uh, always this, this spiritual this spiritual moment with land that ended up becoming the trajectory of their identity. So for instance, this is an example I like to use, if they had an encounter with peace on the land, there was great war, boom, then there's peace, and then God names the land Shalom, then anyone born there after that is called a Shalomite. They're actually named after that mm. particular encounter. Mm. Um, and so when you, whenever you hear, oh, they're a Shalomite, they're like a person of that land, oh, they're a person that carries great peace. And you, and you also see because of the encounter, the people actually carry that thing. 
So to be connected with the land and connected with the encounter, you're also connected with, with the anointing of it. Uh, and, and you see it discipled and, and passed down in the story. And, in, and so then people make decisions from that place because it's in the story. Mm. Um, and it's in, it's in our story, who we are. And, and I look at this country and I look at, let's say, black individuals, you know, uh, African-Americans that come from uh, the inheritance of slavery. Uh, you have us stolen from our land. And, and so there's a lot of customs and traditions. And when we were brought here, it wasn't just to let me make you work for, for us. It was, I'm going to beat you into submission. And in doing that, I will take your name. I will take your language. I will take your sound. You will not be able to sing these songs. I will take your hairstyles. Many African hairstyles, they, it, it communicated which tribes they were from. You knew based upon how they wore their hair, they were from this tribe or from that tribe. So they stripped them of every identifier mm. uh, of their land and of who they were and, and, and how they could continue on who they were as mm. individuals. And, and, and so this starts this journey of us trying to find ourselves, mm -hmm. right? You look at the history in our country and you hear us go from being nigger to Negro to colored to African-American to black. We're trying to find our name. Mm -hmm. It's a sign of an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. But I like to propose to people, I believe white people are actually in an identity crisis as well. Um, because the same thing happened just voluntarily, not involuntarily. For us, we were stripped of who mm. we were, but here they, they gave it up mm. in order to enter into this great experiment that is America, mm. you know, this great democratic experiment. And, and this concept of whiteness, this thing that was created as an idea, not connected to land, but just connected to skin color, uh, became what, what mm. uh, collectively brought them all together. So you, you have people that came from Norway or Sweden or, um, or Ireland or you know all these places. And yes, we know the history with Ireland was not great. Um, but many people were able to lay down, exchange their actual identity as it was connected to their lands uh, in order to enter into this great experiment here. And in doing so, you, they lay down their stories, their customs. You know, if I were to meet a Norwegian American or someone that just identifies as I'm a white American, you hear, well, what, well my great, great, great. And they start describing like Norwegian background, Swedish or, or you know, like in, insert one of the European countries or whatever. And I'm like, man, I don't actually see a way about you that communicates that. I don't see a texture, a, a, an essence, um, uh, how you carry yourself, how you speak. I see very like the American um, whitewashing of it. And I feel like there's actually something there to be reclaimed because because we are connected to land. Like, who are we? Because I, I in, you know, uh, I think it's Revelation 7, 9. Um, you know, where we see every tribe, every tongue, every nation will, will be worshiping the Lord. And I'm like, is that going to be the white tribe then? Is that what it, what it will be called? The white tribe is is I, I, I don't think that's what's good, what it's mm. going to be called. I believe that it will be connected to who you were called to, the people that you were raised underneath. And because we gave up so much of that, um, it's very difficult right now for us to even criticize whiteness because so many people have themselves so my word today is tethered. I just like it. I'm just using it. <laughs> <laughs> but they have their lives so tethered to the concept of whiteness mm. versus tethered to the people that they came from. Mm. And, and, and so, yeah, when I bring up the phrase white supremacy, if you're white, you probably feel attacked, but I'm not attacking you. I'm not attacking your Norwegian people or your Swedish people or your, you know, uh, Italian people. Now, Italy, what's interesting is they're actually a picture of what it looks like to still hold on to who you are. 
Because whenever I meet an Italian, you see the essence, you feel the vibration coming from them, <laughs> the vibrancy, the life, the, the <laughs> sass, the everything that makes them who they are. Like I can peg them in a room and say, that's that tribe. You know, like, and, and I receive something from them. I can celebrate it because the specificity shows up in the room. The distinction shows up in the room. And I get to go, God is good because mm. he shows up in that way. Mm. But when we delete it, I don't even get to celebrate the goodness of God in it because we removed it. And, um, and so looking at whiteness, uh, there was conversations I was having with people online. I said, tell me, you know, what, what's your definition of that? I'm just curious, you know, just to ask a clarifying question before I start assuming. <laughs> And she was like, you're describing me, you're describing my people, you're describing, and there was so much passion connected to it. And I'm like, oh, that's hard. You don't know who you are. Like, you only know white. And that is robbery. You have been robbed. That is an injustice. We need to reclaim that for you. Mm. The white community needs healing in that area. Mm. The black community needs healing in that area. You know, and we need healing from a lot of other things in the black community because of the level of oppression and brutality. But blackness, so now getting to the question. Blackness, what's so interesting here is because blackness had to emerge out of a space of recreating ourselves, um, there's a lot more beauty in it because we were looking for remnants of ourselves to define ourselves versus for exchanging ourselves for something else. Like in, in whiteness, most times people hear it and we think, ooh, kind of power construct, you know, a little bit. Like, oh, if, you, if you're white, you probably got more in life or more advantages in life, or you won't be followed in the store. Even if you're a poor white person, you probably won't be followed in the store. I probably have more money than this person. I can't tell you how many times I've been followed in the store, you know, like as if they're assuming I'm going to steal. It's a, a privilege that someone who is white has that, that I don't have. Um, but when I look at blackness, I see us looking for our sound again and, and the music and the, the um, hairstyles. Like, even though we don't know which hairstyles identified us as tribes, you're still gonna see us with a lot of hairstyles, okay? We're gonna change it up. People tell me all the time, I didn't know it was you until I heard your voice because I changed my hair again. Like, we just love creativity, the vibrancy, because that's in our human spirit. Like, we never wanted to give it up. Um, and so when it came time to redefine ourselves, those things we still pulled on to recreate ourselves. And we didn't know which tribes we came from, which countries we came from. It was hard to know because we were, we were taken. Um, and then at the same time, we were bred like cattle. So now we're mixed with Nigerian and Congolese and you know all these things. So I don't belong to just one tribe now. I belong to multiple tribes. And I don't know which one until I do the DNA test, you know, kind of thing. And, and well, even then you probably won't know the tribe because that's more social than it is DNA. Um, and so you, you have this beauty that's emerged from having to choose your identity from the crumbs that were left. Mm -hmm. and, and so when I think about black beauty, and not even just as a woman, but just beauty period, the thing that you can behold and stop and be in awe of God for, like that's what beauty is to mm -hmm. me. Um, black beauty is the thing that we made of it, that we, it, it's, the, it's that thing inside of us that says, I'm not going to take brokenness as my identity. I'm going to make something mm. that is great and mm. grand. And, and you see it, we're still setting trends like all over the world. Hip hop is ridiculous. Like, you know, and what's so interesting is like the, the sound calls out to our tribe, our, our tribes in Africa, because they're over there singing and rapping our music here. And it's like we, but you, but me, but are we separate, but are we the same, but are we, and there's still a rhythm. Uh, 
that, that is, like, that resonates, that we can still identify with and say, I'm cut from that cloth, even though I don't know what cloth it is. And uh, there is a woman, uh, Karen Gibson, she's the um, director of the Kingdom Choir over in the UK. And when they were here for a, a trip to do some choir stuff here and kind of take a retreat many years back, she asked me, she said, Tanasha, knowing that gospel is your art form, it's birthed from African Americans, how do you feel about us singing your music, you know, as individuals from England? And I said, oh, I think it's beautiful, actually, because it, it's a sign of the resiliency, it's a sign of the interconnectedness and, the, and the, how we're woven together in such a way that no slavery institution could ever break. It's this, it's, to me, it's the sign that we have the same sound and what the enemy tried to crumble, he could never touch because it's woven into the human spirit is woven into our tribe. The fact that your vocal cords literally sound like ours over here, yet we have two different speaking accents. I'm like, to me, that is like beyond. Like I, it actually restores something in me where I always felt so, I don't know, robbed. I'm like, I'm realizing not much was taken in that I thought was taken. A lot was taken, but the things that I thought were taken actually, some of it wasn't um, and couldn't be touched. And, uh, and that to me is, is black beauty, you know. Um, white beauty, I think needs to be reclaimed. I think it needs to be reclaimed. I think it needs to be found in distinction, not in sameness. Because uh, I want to ask <laughs> so many questions when I hear white beauty. I want to ask which tribe are you from, <laughs> you know, so that I can identify the beauty based upon that. God did it with each day that he created. He stopped to rest and say it was good every time. And each day got its own declaration of goodness. You know, each thing that he created got its own pause and declaration of goodness. And I believe each tribe is worthy of its own pause and declaration of goodness. And you know, there's so many other things that can be talked about in that because you know, if I just were to take it at a surface level instead of always going so deep, it's like, okay, white beauty, <laughs> black beauty, you know, Hollywood, you know, like, yeah, I'm the girl that in Hollywood, they tell me I need to straighten my hair if I'm gonna work instead of wearing the Afro. Well, if I wanna do commercials, we can do the Afro because it's becoming popular to showcase products in that way, but not popular to showcase lead, leading players in that way. So now you're like running into all of these concepts that are tied to the constructs of white being at the top of this totem pole. So European beauty is the standard and then everything has to follow the scoring scale or this rubric thereafter. So you've got to be in proximity to that if you want access, if you want power, if you want value, if you, you know, Relevance. you want to be able to, yeah, exactly, all of that. You have to be as close to that as possible. And some parts of me are just like, forget it all, I'll F it all. I don't care, <laughs> I want to be in proximity to it, you know? And then parts of me are like, dang, but I love when my hair is like in that bob, so I'm gonna, you know, like, <laughs> I'm just like, uh, you know, I feel the tensions there, but my inner motivations are I'm embracing me and the distinction of, of my tribe and how we are recreating ourselves and consistently um, recreating ourselves as it pertains to the land and the people, mm. not to concepts. Because if we do that, then we end up repeating history just on the other end of the foot. Mm. And I'm like, no, we, we gotta do it as it pertains to the God Cove. Yeah. So question, fascinating, thank you. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. Um, what would you say to someone, let's say someone who's white, mm. who 
whether they're informed or not, let's say just their attitude and their conviction is coming from this place of, I don't know what my European ancestry was. I love my American heritage. I love the freedom, the independence. You know, we hear these words come up, right? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, they mean certain things to certain people, depending yeah. on who you're talking to, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but they're like, I love that I'm not defined by my location or my traditions or whatever. Because like when you talk about people being identified by the land or like their tribe or whatever, yeah. I think there's something beautiful and like powerful about that. And I'm trying to think like for someone who feels liberation and freedom from not being like yeah. boxed into where they came from and that they have to be that way or whatever. Yeah. Like when you watch like or read about medieval times and the structures people were raised in or what they had to deal with economically, yeah. their future was decided for them based yeah. on their tribe, right? Or their yep. location, whatever. Yep. What would you say to someone who's like, I'm so grateful to not be in that, their perceived oppression of, yeah. you know, that identifier or whatever. Um, thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> uh, and see, I'm, just, I'm new to this. I'm just like <laughs> processing through what you're saying now. Like, yeah. whoa. Right. I mean, number one, I understand and can identify with that sentiment because I do not want to be judged by the color of my skin, but I do want to be celebrated for the distinction that I carry. And right now, a lot of people, it's easier to choose, like, I don't want to be, you know, identified or, or put into this box based upon those things because we realize that there's actually a structure of destruction in that particular realm of things. But if it were a structure of celebration, would you want to be clear? Like the color clear. If, if we're <laughs> celebrating <laughs> colors, yeah. would you want to just be the color clear or would you actually want to own your color? Would you mm -hmm. want to own who, who you actually are? So I think in, in a kingdom light, it's like there's a way of the kingdom and there's a way that society has chosen to go. So yes, in the current structure with society, nobody wants to be operating in that way. But in the way that the kingdom has created it, Jesus did not relinquish himself of his Jewish culture. He embraced it all the more. Mm. And, 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 and so much so that he's constantly quoting it to teach from it, um, that he's, uh, he's connecting parts from the past into the present to, to pr predict and, and prophesy of the future. He's weaving it all together. Not, I, and I don't believe that it's just so that it's culturally competent for the people that are in front of them and relevant so that they get the lesson, but that you understand how woven it is into the design of spirit to spirit. Now, what we have to do is recognize when it's operating out of brokenness and when it's operating out of truth. Mm. It doesn't mean that just because the, that society is operating out of brokenness that I ab abandon God's idea. Mm. Like I must always choose God's idea and continue to model it in such a way to represent the father so that they begin to celebrate diversity. Mm. But that doesn't mean that, oh, because they're not celebrating, then, oh, how about I just, you know, become as, as neutral as possible so that I'm not boxed into those things. Mm. Well, now that's defining your own life based upon their dysfunction. Mm. And you rob yourself of the beauty and the gift that God has given us. And I'm like, I'm not giving that up to nobody. Mm. You can keep that brokenness, but I will model and represent the father and how much beauty and distinction lies in, in how good of a creator he was, mm. how good of a creator he was and how good, um, how good of uh, a creator he was in to make us image bearers that we would also continue to create and the best things about us that still re represent the father that we need to hold on to those things, not delete those things. So that at the end of the day, we're not all red roses but that we have a bouquet and it's this beautiful aroma that comes from every flower shows up for itself. And, and I also like, when I look at like scripture and there's this huge like wedding feast in the end and I'm like, 
I was talking to the Lord. <laughs> this is like back when I was in, it was maybe third year or whatever. And I said, I said, God, talk to me about this wedding feast. Why are we so obsessed with eating? <laughs> when we get to heaven, we're not going to be, you know, like I'm just having these little simple conversations with the Lord. <laughs> and he goes, well, what do you want the wedding feast to be? <laughs> and I'm like, do I get to decide? He's like, well, you're the bride. You know, what do you want at your wedding? I'm like, oh. And then I said, well, I want a potluck. He's like, I do too. And I just thought of that, of like every, every tribe being able to bring their own dish. And when you have a potluck, you don't want just all turkey. <laughs> you know, like I, I, want, I want your sweet potato pie and I want your corn. And okay, if you have the broccoli cheese casserole, they can eat it. But yes, bring it to the table. <laughs> you know, like you want all of these things yeah. because it's that smell of the family sitting down together and the aroma of, of a great feast and not some sad lentil soup that they're handing out because there's poverty. And if we have poverty of spirit, then we're settling for that lentil soup that we hand out to the masses. And I'm like, we're not in a depression in the kingdom. We don't have to just survive off of lentil soup and sameness. We're, no, I'm not defined by, but hey, I want a feast, <laughs> you know? I want this grand feast. And I actually can have a good portion of that right now because I'm reconciled to the Father. Wow. And I can look and see where his goodness is and I get to partner with his great declaration and say it is good and I invite anyone who is wrestling in that area because we feel the brokenness and we also feel it's a it's a easier road to go in this direction and to not have to be defined by those things because sometimes the world does horrible jobs with defining <laughs> and they do a horrible job at what they do when they have a definition they do a horrible job with that but that doesn't mean that you have to now sacrifice Things that are, I mean, wired, wired into human existence that is a God code just because they suck <laughs> at what they're doing, yeah. you know? Totally. So, yeah. Wow. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, you did. Uh, <laughs> I have so many more questions that we don't have time for. I got to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, we're running out of time, but man, I... <laughs> Listen, we're going to talk after this. <laughs> um, I wanted to throw in here, though, um, every guest we have on, I try, if I remember, mm. we have them share a confession, right? This podcast is called Confessions of a Reformer, and where people are invited to get to share something about, you know, their sphere of influence or their expertise or their passion or whatever, where they've obviously spent energy and time going after whatever. And along that journey, there are sometimes some hiccups or potholes or... Yeah you know, gray areas that I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with this, or I don't understand this, or I don't love this, or whatever, that maybe is different than everything else that you're heading after in the direction you're going. Is there a confession you'd want to throw in on anything you're talking about or that you haven't talked about while we're here? Uh, great <laughs> question. I, I, you know, you told me this at the beginning, and I forgot it was coming. Um, you know something, and this, people might look at me like, I can't believe you said that to us, you of all people. <laughs> but the thing that I am wrestling with right now is the sovereignty of God and how he gets reform in society through his sovereignty and, and what that looks like. Um, I'm, I'm uh, let me be more clear, I am, I am somebody who subscribes to the six principles of nonviolence, but I'm very, very, I mean, it's very obvious that violence right now is one of the major um, tactics to get justice. And we would be blind if we didn't see that also as a tactic in scripture. Um, and I don't know where to sit with that. 
I'm looking at certain places where I preach so many messages from the Old Testament and I'm transposing it into new covenant and transposing it into how we live our lives as we represent the Father. And I'm struggling right now with, okay, here, here are moments of such pain being so displayed, but through now a space where humans have come to the ends of themselves with being able to hold themselves in restraint because that kind of energy can only sit so long in a people group when you, for your own survival, go, ah, and as you go, ah, you might hit somebody in the face. And I'm, I'm wrestling with how much is violence okay? I don't know. Like where in the past you might have said, none of it's okay. And yeah. now you're like, maybe some of it is. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I have no, it's a gray area for me. I have no, um, like. Well, you don't feel as staunch as you used to about yeah, how it's exactly. not. Yeah, exactly. I don't. Because mm. now, because I'm going, you know, I, I, I look at my own life and I look at consequences and I look at places where some of my most beautiful relationships came out of some of the greatest blow-ups because right. there was a thing that they had been trying to communicate mm. to me that I had been ignoring or just disregarded them or they just, I just, because especially me as a three achiever, I get tunnel vision and it, I come back to these moments and I go, well, they shouldn't have talked to me like that. Mm. And like, no, I'm actually missing the, the major thing here. And if we're called to people, then what does it look like for me embracing that calling? Go, I'm, I'm called to her, not her behavior. Mm. You know, I'm, so it's, it's, uh, it's hard because mm. now I'm trying to figure that piece out. You know, I will never lead a revolt in with violence. <laughs> I know that that's just, I wouldn't ever be able to live with myself for that because I do believe in nonviolent power. I believe that it is, um, it is not only reforming, but it is formative, like it, mm. it, it, it can form and, I mean, suffering can be some, sometimes the most beautiful material to create with. Um, and it's sad, but I mean, it's, it's, it's that beauty uh, because you're, you're reminded of spirit again, you know? Uh, but I look at it and I'm like, but is this reminding us of spirit again though? And is there something in this that when we get to glory, we'll realize, because God has a different definition even of death, you know, mm -hmm. than we do. Everything is not so final mm -hmm. with him and, um, a moment of pain as a society, if it jars us, you know, into actually right standing. I've seen in so much of the Old Testament where he did do that. And you know, yet there's a lot of new covenant stuff, yet Jesus did come and you know, there's all those things, but that talks to us uh, about us as believers. Uh, but what about the society though? Mm. Are his methods actually still the same with the collective society? even though they're not the same methods with us as individuals, as believers. So I'm, I, that's where I'm sitting. Yeah, that's where I'm, totally. I confess, yeah. I, I, I'm in the gray area. Yeah. And some people might unfollow me for saying <laughs> and I'm actually okay. <laughs> well, that's part of the thing that I love about this space is, you know, someone in a position of yours with the influence and things you've worked through, whatever, and things you represent, like all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what sphere we're influencing, no matter who we're called to, yeah we are human in this process exactly. and the Lord gives us permission yeah. to be human and to yes. get to have questions and wrestle through things and not know all of it while we still participate, yeah. still give our voice, still lend or vote or whatever. So I love, you know, get, getting to be able to provide a space for any of us to be able to confess, like, 
listen, I feel convicted. I feel passionate. I'm going after this. Yeah. This is non-negotiable for me. And along the way, I've picked up some other things that I don't have clarity on. Yeah. I don't feel like oh, yeah. super peaceful mm-hmm. about or whatever right mm-hmm. i think that's honest i think that's just part of the deal you know mm-hmm. and so i love that you shared that thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that and yeah. and i hope that people don't unfollow you but that they give you permission <laughs> to be a person and to get to like continue to evolve and grow as you follow the lord and represent what you do know right yeah. um i hope we we all get that kind of benefit of the doubt and grace as we wrestle through things you know yeah. in the midst of the beautiful that we are impacting the world with and all that. So anyway, Tanasha, thank you so much for being here and sharing all that and not just like doing an interview, but like pouring your heart out and really Mm -hmm. sharing like what you've been impacted by and what you're investing in and what you've, I would say made contact with in the spirit realm, you know, like what you've, you've been influenced by yourself and then now like interpreting and, you know, Mm -hmm. representing and all that what you're tethered to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've loved having you on. I'm oh, serious. Uh, we are going to be talking after this. <laughs> yes. And you guys, those of you listening, if you have any questions you wish I would, listen, there are probably 76 questions I wanted to ask in the midst of this conversation, but I didn't want to get in the way of her flow and letting Tanasha share. If there are questions you wish you that could have been asked or you feel passionate about or things you want to comment on, please feel free to send us an email at contact at We read all the emails that come there. Um, but Tanasha, thank you so much for being on here. Um, I may need to bring you back. Um, we may need to have another conversation. Let's party again. <laughs> Let's talk about what else we could be tethered to. <laughs> totally. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for being here. You guys, thanks for listening. Um, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, leave a review. Um, we love that you guys are jumping on this. Um, what? You were supposed to pitch something. You were supposed oh, to thank you. You're right. Yeah. And then, oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, get it in there. Get it um, in there. By the way. With our Living Your Legend coaching subscription, we just launched this last week a an e-course with that group. So basically, it's going after what does it look like for us to pursue what we've been called to, but following our father rather than coming up with a plan and asking him to bless it, right? How do we say yes to who he has called us to be and repent for what we haven't chosen or ways we've ch- like things we've picked up that had nothing to do with his design or ideas, where we maybe tried to become a, de- a dentist when we're actually a prophet, poet, you know, reformer or whatever. Um, so if that's something that you feel conviction in, you're like, that's something that I need to figure out. I want that to change. I want to go after that, that this was designed for you. If that's something you're interested in, you can check us out at, uh, go to coaching and then it's living your legend. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your day. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.